All right, well, we've been going through uh, this book of James for the last couple of weeks, and uh, at the very end of James, we didn't read it last week, but at the very end in verse 17, uh, James says these words. He says, Elijah was a man even as we are. Uh, and, and so uh, what James is doing in that section is he's talking about prayer, and so he lifts up as an uh, example of prayer, Elijah, uh, and, and he's saying, look at Elijah. Elijah, he's this uh, prototype uh, uh, prophet. He's this guy that uh, everyone kind of looked up to uh, as a Jew. Uh, if you were a Jew, if you wanted to know what a prophet was, you would look at Elijah. He'd be like, uh, the Jews were very good at uh, saying this person was very much like this person. So like as kings, the, the prototype king for them was David. All right? And so the prototype prophet for them was Elijah. Right, Elijah was the first, not or first major one uh, to come during the divided kingdom. Uh, he wasn't necessarily the first prophet, but he was the first major one uh, that we know of. All right, and so uh, he, he's kind of there, and, and Elijah, and, and basically what James is saying by showing us Elijah says, "Look at the power that Elijah had in prayer." Uh, and we'll kind of uh, look at that here in a little bit. But his prayer allowed it not to rain for three and a half years. All right, and that, that's a powerful prayer that one guy was able to do this. And James says, look at him. If he can do it, we can too. All right, because James says if he can do it, he was nothing extraordinary. He was a man just like we are. And so what I want to kind of do uh, is, is use that to catapult into this next series that we're going to be studying. Uh, and and we basically are going to look at the life of Elijah. Um, and so we're going to uh, kind of see, because if he was a man just like we are, then the things that he experienced are things that maybe we experience in a different way. And maybe we can learn from how he uh, reacted in tough situations uh, and moments of his life uh, and, and see if we can't apply it some to our lives. So uh, today we're going to turn to uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, that's going to be the first time that Elijah comes onto the scene. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles, we encourage you to, to open up to 1 Kings 17, uh, and we will be uh, reading out there. Uh, 1 Kings is in the Old Testament. It is uh, found right after the books of Samuel, uh, right before the books of Chronicles. And so hopefully that helps you uh, as we do it. And as we are turning, uh, we're going to be looking at the context. A uh, preacher once said that a text without a context is a pretext. All right, So uh, we want to kind of understand the context to Elijah's story, especially uh, since it's a narrative story, a historical story. Uh, Elijah comes during the time that's called the Divided Kingdom. Uh, the Israelites, uh, they came out of Egypt. Moses led them, and they wandered through the desert for uh, 40 years. That was called the Wandering Period. Uh, and then they get to a spot where they're ready to enter the Promised Land. And as they enter the Promised Land, uh, Joshua takes over, and it's called the Conquest Period because they're there. And Joshua, he wins a couple of battles uh, against some of the main opposition that they were entering into as they go into the Promised Land. But he doesn't completely defeat everybody. He kind of lets the tribes go off and do their thing. The tribes were supposed to uh, conquer their own lands after they defeated these major people, uh, but the tribes didn't. And so we enter into this period after Joshua's death called the Judges because the Israelites were really a loose confederation of tribes, not necessarily a united country. And every once in a while, a guy would stand up and he would unite the tribes enough to defeat some of their enemies. And these people that united the tribes were collectively called the Judges. Now, about 200 years before 
1 Kings 17, uh, the Israelites decided that, that enough was enough. They, weren't, they were tired of not being ruled by a king. And so they go to Samuel and say, Samuel, we want a king. And Samuel says, are you sure? And they say, yes, we want a king just like everyone else has one. All right, and so they uh, get, eventually get Saul to be their king. Uh, and then we in this period that's called the United Kingdom from Saul, uh, David, and Solomon. Uh, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, uh, decided to keep some injustices that his father had started with the northern tribes. Uh, he was not a very wise king. He did not listen to his advisors and said, maybe we shouldn't do these things. Uh, and, and so the northern kingdoms uh, split off and were into this divided kingdom. Uh, the king during the time of Elijah's life will be King Ahab. All right, Ahab is the eighth king of Israel, and he's a very wicked king. In First King 16, at the very end, it's describing Ahab, and it says, Ahab did more wicked than every other king before him. In fact, it says that it was trivial for him to do the sins that his uh, father committed. It was nothing. It, uh, that was, that's just normal life uh, for Ahab. And so he is uh, a very, very bad king uh, in the eyes of God. And so that's where we kind of enter into uh, Elijah's story. He's in this northern kingdom when it's divided from the south, uh, and it, they have a very, very wicked king. Uh, Ahab, of course, married a queen named Jezebel uh, that most of us probably have heard of at some point in time. So here is how uh, Elijah's story starts in verse 1. Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Galilee, uh, Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I have served, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. All right, so Elijah comes onto the scene of history, and he's pronouncing judgment. All right, he's looking at King Ahab, and he says it to King Ahab, Ahab, uh, there is judgment on you right now. And the judgment is that it's not going to rain for as long as I say it's not going to rain. As long as I'm praying that it doesn't rain, it's not going to happen. And this is going to affect the entirety of the nation. Now, why is this judgment not just at Ahab, but the entirety of the nation? Well, uh, really, if we look at it, Ahab is really just a reflection of his nation. Most leaders... Uh, are usually a reflection of how society is going. All right, we can look at the leaders that are being presented before us right now. All right, and, 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 and most people feel like there's two choices. And of those two choices, who really likes anyone? And most people I talk to say, I don't like either of them. All right, and the reason why that probably has happened is because it's probably the leaders we deserve. I mean, when we look at our culture and, and where we're going as a nation, these are probably what reflects who we are as a nation. And that's kind of what's happened with Ahab. Ahab, he is a wicked king, but the entire nation has been going down this line for generation after generation, and they've been following after uh, false gods and idols. And so Ahab, even though he is wicked himself, he's probably just a reflection of his culture. Now, the, uh, the type of punishment that God is choosing here, the type of judgment he's pronouncing upon the Israelites, it is for a purpose. Right? The main form of worship that the Israelites chose to go to was uh, an idol by the name of Baal. And Baal, he was a Canaanite god, and he was a god of fertility. He was a god of storms. All right? And so he, 
whenever it rained, the, the bell, people who worship Bell would thank Bell for the rain because Bell was the one that brought the rain. And so when God comes and says, there's not going to be any rain, he's directly punching at uh, Bell. He's saying, Bell, you are nothing. Right? Bell, you have no control over this. I am the Lord. And I have control over all creation. And so he's directly attacking their form of worship, their idols that they're doing. And this is nothing new for God. All right? when, when the Israelites were in Egypt and, and, and Moses goes there to talk to Pharaoh to let his people go, the ten plagues that happen as a result are all directly punched at the Egyptian gods. They're all directed at the Egyptian gods because those gods were in charge of the Nile. They were in charge of frogs. They were in charge of flies and all these things. And so uh, when, he, when he sends these plagues, he's directly saying, I'm more powerful than your gods. And so this is just how God kind of operates. And so uh, the judgment is you're worshiping this God who can reign and, and, and brings fertility to your grounds, but I'm going to directly affect that because I am more powerful than he is. All right, so that's, that's the judgment. Uh, but in the midst of this judgment, God is going to provide provision uh, for Elijah and his people. And so in verses uh, 2 through uh, 6, uh, we read how God provides for Elijah. This is what it says. Then the Lord of the, uh, word of the Lord came to Elijah. He said, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kiriath Ravine, east of the Jordan. Uh, you will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kiriath Ravine, east of the Jordan, stayed there, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. All right, uh, it's going to be uh, important that we know a little bit more about Elijah, okay? We don't have a ton of backstory about Elijah, but we know where he's from. It's, it's a town called Tish, Tishbe, and it's in Gilead. All right, Gilead uh, was uh, a name that was used for uh, pretty much everything that was east of the Jordan River. All right, the Promised Land was between the Jordan River, uh, west of the Jordan River, and the Mediterranean Sea. All right, and so Gilead was on the outside of that. All right, but when the Israelites came in to conquer the Promised Land, the land of Gilead was considered uh, very flourishing. It was a great land to, to raise uh, animals, uh, to pasture them. Uh, and so there was actually a couple of tribes that said, hey, we want to stay here. All right, so two and a half tribes of Israel stay in Gilead while the rest come across. The Jordan, and this is where Elijah's from. He's not really in the promised land, but he's an Israelite, and he's come over to Ahab to talk to them. And God says, Hey, go back to Gilead, to, to the east of the Jordan, to this uh, Kareth ravine. We have no idea where this is. All right, it's, it's been about 3,000 years. Uh, names of places change uh, in that time period, uh, and especially in that area of the world that was constantly conquered by a bunch of different people. Uh, and so we have no idea what ravine this is. And so he goes, he knows where it's at because he probably knows the land. All right, This is his homeland that he's being asked to go. And he goes, and God provides for him there. He provides water with this brook, and then he does one of the, first, one of the three miracles in this chapter right here, and that is the birds feed him. I don't know how many of you have ever had birds bring you bread and meat, but I have not. All right? and, and so this is a miracle. This is God's provision. And what we see in this story is God providing for his prophets. And it's a blessing that God is giving. 
And, and sometimes in the midst of major disasters, God blesses people. And there's times that he doesn't bless people. I mean, sometimes, you know, Elijah here, he, he's getting blessed, but there were other of God's people in the land uh, that we see in, in, in chapter 18 that God didn't bless. He didn't provide them with water or with meat and food. And so we often are left with this question is, why does God bless some people but not others? And the answer that I can give to that is, is I don't know. You know, sometimes God chooses to bless people over here, and He doesn't provide that same blessing to the same group of people over here. And, and, and some people might say, well, it's a matter of faith, but that often leaves the question of why do bad things happen to good, godly people? Right? They had faith. Why weren't they blessed in the same situation? Right? So I don't know that that's the correct answer. I don't know that that's the correct response. Sometimes God blesses, and sometimes He doesn't, and I don't know why. Paul tried to, I think, answer this a little bit in Romans chapter 9 when he says this, Do not, uh, Does not the potter have the right to make from the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? And in this discussion in Romans 9, Paul is talking about this idea of blessing. He's asked, why does the blessing come over here for these people but not over here? And his answer is, God can choose to bless whom he blesses. And that's kind of what happens in this story with Elijah, is God is choosing to bless Elijah. And yes, there's other people here that might be just as worthy, but they don't receive that same blessing. And it's because God has a purpose, and God has a plan. And God is wanting to use Elijah for something uh, that, that is of special purposes. And these people, yes, you're faithful, and he's going to take care of them, but he's not necessarily going to bless them in the same way because they have a different role in his works. And so maybe, maybe that's the answer. Maybe that's why God chooses to bless some people but not others. Well, the story uh, continues. Elijah, he's in this ravine. It hasn't rained for a while. We don't know how long, how much time has passed. All right? uh, but it's enough that this brook dries up. And in verse 7, we read uh, that sometime later the brook dries up. Uh, and in verse 8, then the word of the Lord came. And he said, go at once to Zarephath, to the region of Sidon, and stay there. Uh, I've directed a widow there to supply you food. So God, he, even as this brook is drying up, uh, he, he's, he's still getting fed some. And he says, you know what? It's time for you to go up to, to uh, Zarephath. Now, uh, Zarephath is uh, a town, again, we don't necessarily know. A lot of names changes in the time period for the last 3,000 years. But it's in the region of Sidon. And Sidon was north of Israel. All right, and so he's told to go from Gilead, which isn't technically a part of the promised land, to go all the way north to Sidon, which is definitely not a part of the, the, the uh, promised land. It's not even in the region of Israel. And that just kind of shows us how bad it is in Israel, that, that God doesn't even trust his prophets with Israelites. He has to send them up north to this widow in this town of Zarephath. It's that bad. Another reason that he's probably going up here is because Sidon is where Baalism was at the heart. It's where it kind of started and spread out from there. And so he's going to the very heart of Baalism worship. 
And he says, I want you to go up there and I want you to find this widow and she's going to provide food for you. So he goes up in verse 10 uh, and, and he gets to the town gate and there's a widow there and she's collecting these sticks. And he asks her, hey, would you bring me a little bit of water? And she goes off to do it. Why? Probably a cultural thing. Hey, this is a stranger in a strange land. Let me provide you with some water. And as she's leaving in verse 11, he says, hey, we also bring me some bread. Now he doesn't ask for like a loaf of bread. All right? it doesn't, he doesn't ask for uh, you know, all the bread that she has. He just asks for a little piece. Can I have a piece of bread? No, he's been traveling from Gilead all the way up to this town of Zarephath. And so he's probably hungry. You know, who knows if he's had food along the way. And so he says, I need a little piece of bread. And here's how she responds in verse 12. She says, as surely as the Lord your God lives. Now notice, she doesn't say it's my God because she doesn't worship the Lord God of Israel, okay? She says, as surely as your God lives, I do not have any bread, only a handful of flour, a little olive oil in a jug, and I'm gathering these sticks to take home to make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Man, we don't, we don't know anything about this woman's story other than this. She's a widow. Her husband's died. We don't know how he's died. Maybe it's because of this famine. Maybe it was before it all started. And in a culture where the man makes the money and the man makes the, provides food for his family, this lady being left a widow and with a, probably a young son who's still living under her control, they have nothing. And in fact, she has so little that, and she has so little hope that anything was going to happen, that she simply says, I'm making this bread, and I'm planning on dying. What a lack of hope. I mean, she is suffering, not because she has done anything wrong. I mean, she is suffering because the whole nation is suffering. And sometimes uh, when we look at people, I think sometimes we forget that they have a story to their lives. And sometimes the things that they are going through is not because they have done anything wrong, but because of life. I mean, life has hit this woman. I mean, she has nothing and so Elijah, uh, without even realizing it, she doesn't have a champion to champion her, without realizing it, Elijah's there for her. And here's what Elijah says in verse 13. He says, don't be afraid. Go home, do as you said, make a small loaf of bread for me uh, from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord of God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. And so she went away, did as Elijah had told her. There was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord had spoken to Elijah. And so what we see here is the second miracle in this story. And it's this flower that's never-ending, and this oil that is never-ending. And she's able to make food and food. Again, we know nothing about this woman's story. We have no idea other than she was at this place of hopelessness. And Elijah, he, he's, he's been living in this same situation, but has been blessed by God. All the while, she has not been blessed by God. And Elijah chooses to use that blessing to bless her. He says, I've been getting food by God, and now God's going to provide food for you because you feed me first. 
And what I think we need to learn from this story is this understanding of what blessings are. See, blessings come to us. Right? We are blessed people. I mean, if you live in America, you are extremely blessed. I mean, our poorest of poor is way richer than a lot of the poor of the rest of the world. Right? We are in a very blessed situation just by being born in this country. And we have this blessing, but this blessing that's been given to us by God is not meant to stay with us. See, the blessings that God gives us, we're meant to share them with other people. And this is what Elijah is doing. He's been blessed by God. He's been given this food. And now he's turning around and providing this miracle for this lady who has not been blessed. In the same way, we need to turn our blessings for other's people. That's what we do when we give tithes and offerings. And the reason why we give back to the church is because God has blessed us with money. And he's blessed us with monetary things. And we take that money and we bless other people with it. I mean, we're not supposed to hoard it up. I mean, Jesus says that over and over in the New Testament. We're not supposed to keep it all for ourselves, but we're supposed to share it with other people. We're supposed to share it to provide blessings in places like Haiti where they're devastated, where they don't have money to rebuild, where they don't have money for food. I mean, they, they are in a pl- very dangerous place where, where they are dying because of this hurricane. And we as, as Americans, as Christians, need to be willing to give to help these people out. Right? This is a part of what we're to do. Uh, we're supposed to provide our blessings that God has given to other people before we go out and get cable, uh, before we go out and get cell phones or whatever it is that we're giving. All right? We should be blessing other people in this world. This story doesn't end with just Elijah providing a meal. Uh, in uh, verse 17, we read this. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. It grew worse and worse, and finally he stopped breathing. And she says to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? All right, so the story uh, while it feels like it might, should have a happy ending where they are eating bread and they're surviving throughout this entire period, it ends in tragedy. When it rains, it pours. And this woman who probably thought that things were going to go awesome, going to go well, she finds that her son is now dead. And so she turns on Elijah. Why are you here? You know, you give me this sliver of hope that we are going to be able to survive. But now my son is dead. Why are you here? And Elijah, I don't think, has an answer for this. And this is what Elijah does in verse 19. He says, give me your son. And Elijah, he, he, he takes him in his arms. He carries him to the upper room where he was staying. And he laid him on his bed. And he cries out to God, Lord, my God. Have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? His question to God is, why? I mean, sometimes when tragedies hit, uh, we are pretty much left with this question, why, God? Why are these things happening? And Elijah, this man of faith, this man just like us, this man that, that was superior in the eyes of the Jews, he is left with that same question, why, God? And tragedy is terrible. 
Tragedy breaks things. I mean, this tragedy that's happened with Hurricane Matthew, it's left a lot of broken people, a lot of people dead. And when those happen, we really are sometimes lost at an understanding for words. Why? But even with this, Elijah still had compassion. And in verse 21, we see that he stretches himself on the boy three times and he cries out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy return to life. And the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child, carried him down to the room, to the house, and he gave him to his mother. Look, your son is alive. And what we see is God moving through Elijah and God performing this miracle, this third miracle in this story. And it's a miracle of compassion over this lady who was a widow who probably was relying on her son to get to an age where he could finally take care of her through his work, All right, but that he's not quite there yet. And so she is left with nothing when her son is dead, when her husband's gone. And she is questioning, God, are you really there? And God answers by bringing him back to life. And this is the woman's response in verse 24. He says, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. And so essentially what we have here is a final confession on her part. That, that after witnessing everything uh, that had happened, witnessing the miracle of the bread and witnessing the miracle of this, her son being returned to life, we have this uh, final confession that the Lord is truth. And what we have in this story is Elijah using the compassion that he had and using the blessings that God had given to bless this woman to the point where she finally came to faith in this Lord. That was his God, but now it's hers. See, her God had no solution. The God that she worshipped, Baal, he wasn't providing her with food. He wasn't providing her with a man of God who would come into her house and provide food for them. He wasn't providing her with anything that she needed. But God, the Lord of all creation, through this man Elijah, provided a huge blessing to her. In our lives... We need to be people, men and women of God, who are using these blessings to bless other people. And when we bless other people with the things that God has given us, eventually they can see the compassion that God has for them, the love that God has for them. And eventually, they'll come to know Him as their Lord as well. So let us be people, not hoarding our blessings, not hoarding our compassion, but giving it to other people to show them who our God is. Because that is what we're called to do as Christians, to imitate Elijah and the story that he lived in 1 Kings 17. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are uh, marveling at uh, the story of Elijah. We are amazed that, that he had such faith that that his prayers uh, were heard by you, that he uh, was able to keep it from raining for an extended period of time, and that he uh, was able to provide this blessing of flour and oil, that he was able to uh, bring the sun back to life. Uh, these miracles that happened were all done through you and, and by you and because of your provision for Elijah and this woman. Lord, in our lives, when we have needs, I pray that you will provide them. I pray that you will bless us. I pray, God, that you will allow these blessings that come to us to affect other people. Father, I, I'm grateful 
uh, for the blessings you've given me, and I pray that I will uh, be open-minded to those who are in need as well, and that I will seek ways uh, to help them. I see things in your name. Amen.